Our passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, as we begin this new Advent series, Honest Advent. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to the public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. But uh, no marital relations with her until she born a son. And he named him Jesus. The word of God. Please be seated. What a... Welcome to our, our, our new series that we've begun here for the Advent season, Honest Advent. Today, I want to talk about a vulnerable Christ. And Matthew has this great story of how Jesus became to this earth. And I thought, what a, uh, what a weird way to start a gospel story. What a just absolutely interestingly weird human way to tell the beginning of the Savior of the world's life. Matthew, the, the elder of the Synoptic Gospels, doesn't even talk about the story of Jesus' birth and childhood. In fact, he goes right into Jesus the Messiah, going into the uh, baptism. John the Baptist is there, gets him prepared, and then he goes into ministry. Luke does research, at least. He talks, and he listens, and he's looking around for the stories. And what comes from that is he, ge- we, he begins to share the voice and the story of Mary. John doesn't even start on earth. John starts out in the cosmos. He's like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's blockbuster, poetic, powerful. Matthew. He really puts God in this vulnerable light. He puts God in this this place that makes God seem very human, almost pedantic, very vulnerable. You and I know what it's like to be vulnerable. We've all had those moments where you are stuck in a space where you've put yourself out there and you're now no longer in control of the situation, you have to wait for a response that you cannot control. Being vulnerable is a difficult space to be in, and this is where Matthew places the birth of Jesus. Oh, it's awkward to be vulnerable. 
I don't know if you're the kind of person who enjoys being vulnerable often, but when we get to that place, it's, it's, it, you don't right, quite know what to do with it. When I, 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 I married my wife, I guess so, because she's my wife. When I married her, uh, we, we got married here in this space. Um, when I proposed to her, it was during Christmas. So every time Christmas comes around, I have this, it gives me these, these, these feelings inside because I know this was a time when I proposed to her. We were at her family's house, and, and I had gotten one of these uh, TV, flat-screen TVs, and I, I got inside the, 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 the TV screen box at her family's house, and I waited for her to open this big-screen TV box, and I would be in there. I was much thinner then, so I could fit inside the actual box. And it was the last gift to be given. We had talked about this in our, in our dating. You know, she was saying, my parents really need the TV. I wonder if we should get them a TV. I said, maybe. And so, so I, I kept that in mind. Our church just had bought this brand new TV. I took the box. I took it over to cousin. I got inside and I waited and I started to get a little bit, uh, you know, claustrophobic. Like, oh, man, what's going to happen? And then I hear them talking and, hey, listen, we've got one more gift. Um, Melanie, it's for you. And she says, for me? I said, yeah, it's for you. Come on. And, and I hear them out there and she's, you know, she's gathering around because the cousins knew and the mom knew. I'd spoken to the mom. And so she was aware that I was in this box. But Melanie wasn't aware that I was inside the TV box. And so they said, come on, come open it. And my wife, she's the kind of, maybe you're this kind of seasonal person. Like when you get a present, instead of ripping into it, you want to tear it off nicely so you could use it later. Stop that, everyone. <laughs> or maybe do it more and we should all be responsible for the earth. I don't know. My wife is not going to, you can imagine this large size box and she's like this, right? I'm inside, I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Finally, her cousin says, hey, let me open the box for you. He comes over and he just flips the box open and there I am on my knee. I would do it now, but I'm old and it hurts. So I, <laughs> just imagine me on my knee. And I had, this, I had this ring that I'd been saving up for, for for months and months because I'm a pastor and there's no money in it. I had it prepared and it was opened. And in my soul and in my mind, I had heard what was going to come out. And it was going to be like Barry White. It was going to be like some, some nice music in the back. Like, girl, you know I love you. Right? I know. I know. That's the reaction I thought I would have had too. But then when she flipped the box open, she was staring at me, and I got nervous. So I just had to... <sighs> Plus, I had been in that box too long. I didn't have no breath. <laughs> Marry me. Her mom yells out from the balcony, say it again. Very romantic. <laughs> say it again. Will you, will you marry me? Kid you not. She just stood there and stared at me. No expression. No elation. No tears. Just dead at me. And it felt like we were there for at least seven days. And in my mind, I was like, oh, snap. She would have rather had the TV. <laughs> so I was like, oh, dang. Wow. Well, obviously, she married me. 12 years, 4 months, 25 days. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to do it in our family. Yeah. We would not have arrived here, though, had I not been willing to be vulnerable there. And in that space of vulnerability, it just feels like eternity. 
It feels like I don't know. Was this the right thing? It feels like an impossibility that you might be able to broach the other side. So Matthew does this with God. God's birth here is very vulnerable. It's very human. It's it's very here. Uh, Webster, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines vulnerable as susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. Brene Brown, who has studied shame for quite a many years, she would describe vulnerability as uncertainty or risk or emotional exposure. Wow. To take risks, to be in an uncertain space, to not know what is going to be the outcome, to lose control. And I think that's why it's so difficult to hear Matthew's account, because we are used to talking about a God who's always in control. We are used to talking about a mighty God. We talk about a protecting God, a massive God. But in Matthew, we see an uncertain, vulnerable Exposed, risk-taking God. God is in a risky situation here in Matthew. God is vulnerable. Everybody here is susceptible to uncertainty. Everyone here is uncomfortably vulnerable. It starts in, in verse 18. We move past the genealogy. In verse 18, we hear the story. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his, when, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is how Matthew introduces the beginnings of the birth of Jesus. It was found. Who found out? Who did Joseph find out from? What, it wasn't from the angel. The angel visited him after. Was it from the community? Did someone find out? Did Mary tell him? How did he find out? Joseph is, is in this relationship where they are in a marital space, but not yet cons uh, consummated that space. And he finds out that she's impregnated, that she's pregnant. And it's not his because he hasn't been there. No need to explain biology. We all got this, right? Got it. Good. Wow. Imagine with me how vulnerable Joseph feels right now. What is Joseph going through? What kind of betrayal does he feel from the partner who he thought was going to be with him for a lifetime? What is going on? Joseph is vulnerable. He's vulnerable to the pain of being dejected from the one who he thought was going to be his life partner. He's vulnerable to the pressures and the shaming and the judgment from the community when they hear that, oh, Joseph, Mary's pregnant and it's not yours. Joseph is vulnerable. Mary is vulnerable. Mary has all the same vulnerabilities as Joseph. She's, she's at the brink of losing the partner uh, that she was betrothed to to be with the rest of her life. She's losing a protection. She's losing uh, a home. She's, losing, uh, she's vulnerable for the shame in the community, for the judgment of the community. On top of all that Joseph felt, she's also vulnerable to being put to death. She's a teenager. A teenager. And technically, she's a single mom. She's vulnerable. Mary's vulnerable. This is Matthew's account. 
But Matthew's not done. He's just going to keep making everybody vulnerable. Because baby Jesus is vulnerable now too. You see, baby Jesus is coming into this world through a statistically risky time for childbearing in the first century. There's no guarantee that Jesus was going to make it to earth. Through the process of gestation and growth, through the process of now having to be limited by time. Remember, we're talking about the God who's beyond, above, and in time, who was, who is, and who is to be, who has control of all things, so they would say, and now he has no control. He has to be in a 40-week process of incubation and growth and change, and he now has to be fed and taken care of through the umbilical cord, through a, through a sack that keeps him alive. He is vulnerable to all kinds of issues. He's vulnerable. He's no longer the creator and maker of all things, but now he is the passive recipient of being made fearfully and wonderfully. This is who Jesus is now. So he's vulnerable. This story is a very human story. In the next episode of the story is the Magi. And the Magi come, but it's not really about the Magi. It's really about Herod, who's going to now chase down this family. And Jesus is a baby, and his parents need to flee. So they become immigrants. They, they, they migrate. They move. Could you imagine how vulnerable that makes a little baby? They didn't get into cars like we do and drive off with the perfect climate inside of our Teslas. By our, I mean not me. <laughs> I got an old Prius, as you all know. No. They had to face the, the elements of nature around them. The cold, the heat, the brutality of the world. God is vulnerable in the story of Matthew. It isn't the grown-up Jesus of Mark. It isn't the well-researched, detailed story of Jesus in Luke, where there was a baby leaping inside of his auntie's womb. It is definitely not John's great cosmic, uh, slightly abstract telling of the coming of Jesus, this, this word that became flesh. Here in chapter one, I love how John puts it. This is, if I could, this is the way I would, I would put it to Matthew. Matthew, get your game straight. Look at how John did it, figure it out. And the word became flesh and lived among us. So John starts with a great story of this huge being that's out in the universe, that is creating the universe, that is a part of the universe, and then that word at one point becomes flesh and lives among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Message Bible reads it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. Flesh and blood. John doesn't get caught up in the human gore of how things happen. John just says, listen, it was an abstract const uh, 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 concept. It was this huge logos out in the world, and then it became flesh and blood and moved in with us. Matthew says, no, that's, that's too well read. I got to get into the details of being human. 
In Matthew's story, everyone feels a little disjointed. It's risky. It's not the beautiful lights of Christmas. It's, it's a shifting. It's a moving. It's, it's the possible death of birth and all of it in between. There is one point in the story where Matthew gives this, this ethereal glimpse at a proclamation of who God is, where he says in verse 23, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In that moment, Matthew makes the declaration that this baby, vulnerable child, is indeed the God of the universe, the mighty and big and complex God, the God who, according to the psalmist, sits above the circle of the earth. I don't know if you've seen some of these photos of the universe lately, recently. Oh, this God, the God who sits above the circle of the earth, the one whose heavens belong to, the universe cannot contain God's expanse. Galaxies dance in his presence. Logic is because you are. You who give stars their names. You, O oh God, the mighty one who the universe constantly chases after because you are so expansively glorious. This God is now a God of humanity, vulnerable. Here in Matthew, that God is not quite as pronounced as the one that is vulnerable and dependent, soft, the God who cannot feed God's self, the God who cannot change God's self, the one who couldn't even carry himself, this baby God, vulnerable. Soft, kind of like this, this, this baby. Look at this baby here. It's not a baby. Is that baby up there somewhere? Maybe not. I just want you to imagine what a baby would look like with me right now. <laughs> look at that. Isn't that adorable? How about this one? Can you pop up a couple others there? Look at this. Ooh, mm, diva. Hello. Don't hurt me. Let's see a couple more. Is there another one up here? <laughs> Look at this player play right here. What's up? <laughs> She's like, uh-uh, no, no. Not today. <laughs> was there another one or was that the last one? You know what's interesting about these pictures? This isn't like pictures of newborn. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is pictures like after they were born and then they got dressed up and they put them out. Some of y'all don't know because you ain't been there. You ain't been in the war, uh, the labor room. That's where the work happens. One day, you'll know what I'm talking about behind me. Not anytime soon, but one day. It's for real war in there. There's like sweat and tears and blood. There's like pain, anger, frustration, doubt, loss. And that was all me. <laughs> My wife at one point was like, what's going on, bro? Calm down, I'm trying to have a baby here. <laughs> I can't, just give me, give me some, put it in me, come on. I need, <laughs> I need to numb up, help me. And that's in a world where 
you have hospitals and modern doctors and people to care for you. With our first child, my wife had a difficult time because, uh, because my children are Tongan size and that's problematic. <laughs> when, when we were going to see the doctors about it, uh, her doctor is a good close family friend of ours and they were standing there and we were looking at the pictures and the doctor says, yeah, looks like um, Michaela's gonna be about uh, 10, maybe 11 pounds. And my wife was like, what? And our doctor's Filipino too. So she said, yeah, I know. If you'd have married a Filipino, <laughs> they average about five pounds. And then they both looked at me like I was like, my bad, my bad, my bad. But in that space where just after Michaela was born, there was a sense of joy and relief. And then they had to bring the baby over. And I began to watch Michaela side because my wife had a, a, a difficult time recuperating. from this um, safe, modern process. Could you imagine Mary? No doctors, no midwives, no modern medicine, having to bring this baby into the world. Vulnerable, vulnerable. Why make the Christ so vulnerable, Matthew. Why do that? Why not set him up like Mark where he's grown up and he gets to go into baptism and begin? Why not more like Luke who, who we get to hear the joyous occasion of Mary singing her song or giving her praises to God? Why not like John, super massive, huge, out in the world, then boom, he's here. Well, I think Scott Erickson has a good way of sharing why it was important for God to be so vulnerable. It is only when we have exhausted our tales of trophy winning, when we let down our guards and speak to the truth about our travels, that we find that where we really connect as humans is in the places we have found we walk with a limp. In other words, we connect most deeply with each other when we are willing to be vulnerable together. It's not in the spaces where I can gloat about my success. It's not in the spaces where I'm most protected. It's in the spaces where I'm vulnerable and real and honest and open. You and I can't truly see or be seen until we choose to be vulnerable. You and I, I'll say it again, cannot be seen and cannot truly see each other until we are willing to be vulnerable. Until I open up to you and allow you to be a part of my life, force, journey, and path, I can never be known by you. You will only know my, the, the me that I give you, the Instagram version, the TikTok version, the Facebook, that's if it's for the older people. The Facebook version of me. It is not until I am vulnerable till I can be seen. God comes vulnerably to us in Matthew so that we might see God fully in Jesus. The theophanies of times past 
was not good enough. It, it created too much for us to consider. The, the cloud and the pillar and, and those things are great and wonderful, but it didn't quite tell the fullness of who God is. And so instead of a theophany, we see that God now comes as God is into the world and through this vulnerability so that as he is on our level, we now can see eye to eye and I can say, I have seen God. In fact, they get into this debate a little bit in the book of John, and they're like, hey, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus, I'm going where I got to go. And he says, oh, come on, Jesus, can we go with you? And, and, and you know, we, we want to know where the Father is. Where is God? And he says, those who have seen me have seen who? Yeah. If you've seen me, you've seen the heavenly parent. In other words, I have been vulnerable with you. I have opened up to you. So now you no longer have to guess at what heavenly God looks like. You know what God looks like because you've seen me. Being vulnerable means risking the release of a control of comfort and being vulnerable enough to live fully with each other. This is the tricky thing about church because we talk about how church should be the place where we can come and we can give our lives to Jesus. But the truth is, we come to a place that is well controlled. Climate control feels great in here. Praise the Lord. Please keep. Please keep giving. It feels good in here. The lights are perfect. You come in and there's a liturgy that, you, that you're familiar with. And, it, and it's the way that it's written for you. And it's comfortable and it's, and it's, it's mechanical and it's, it's almost just sterile. We come into this place and, and because of the size of it, we can sneak in like a wallflower. And then when church is over, we can sneak out and live the rest of our lives. We mask our pains and our truth of our stories by dressing up nicely. How are you? Praise the Lord, I'm blessed. Happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. You ever hear people get in happy Sabbath arguments? Who can say it better? Happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. Oh, happy Sabbath. Oh, bless the Lord, happy Sabbath. Like, what are we talking about right now? I don't know. We mask our vulnerability so that we can leave this place and continue being who we were. But you and I cannot grow into the likeness of God, according to this Matthew story, unless we are willing to be vulnerable with each other. So I don't want, I want to, I'm, I'm ending now. Don't worry, I'm ending, I'm ending everyone. But I want to give you about four minutes. And I want to do this. I want to invite you to be vulnerable. Now, please don't overshare. That's not vulnerable. That's just too much. We call that TMI. But I want us to take a moment in church and be vulnerable. This is how you're going to do it. I want to invite you to just turn to the person closest to you. And if you're not close to someone, I invite you to move close enough so that you can hear each other. You don't have to to your comfort level. Then I want you to ask this question. How are you? And don't rush to an answer. Don't, don't rush to the immediate, oh, praise the Lord, you know, everything's good in my life. I want you to consider what it means to be asked the question, how are you? And I want you to share. Now, you could be great on a mountaintop experience. It could be phenomenal. Or, or maybe it's been a really rough week. 
maybe you're in a space right now where you've been vulnerable in a few places and you still don't know what the answer is, and that's okay. But I wanna have church today. I don't want a sterile program where I came and felt comfortable and I left and, and either uh, the speaker impressed me or they didn't, or the, the music lifted me or it didn't. I, I want us to be in a space where we leave here feeling like someone here saw me and feeling like I saw them. Wouldn't that be beautiful to be, back, be a part of that kind of church? Absolutely it would. So I'm gonna give us about four or five minutes I invite you now, just turn. You don't, don't, you don't have to go across the room. Just the people next to you. Ask them, how are you doing? Now, at the end of that, if the Spirit leads you, I invite you to pray for each other. Go for it. If not, words of affirmation. If not, a fist bump. If not, just give them a high five. That's fine. Take your three to five minutes now and ask each other, how are you doing? Did you take a moment to pray with somebody? Did you bless them with words of affirmation? Were you seen today? Did you see someone today? Did Emmanuel become incarnate between our conversations? I pray it was. On Wednesday, we, um, I had some family visiting, so my, my brother, who's from L.A., uh, drove them out to CPK out off Central. I don't know if anyone's been to that CPK. Yes, praise the Lord for CPK. Amen. And I was going to meet them there. We were finishing up some stuff here at the church and at the office. And when I got done, I drove out there. And there had been this band that was playing right by the movie theaters. Um, outside, not inside Adventist. We were outside listening to them. Yeah, somebody, somebody's Adventist over there. And they listened to the music. And when the music was done, they all came inside CPK. And I met them in there. And we were eating. And after we were done eating, we got to the car. And we were about to drive home. And as we were about to leave to go home, we turned around and said to my son, Hey, Leo, did you get all your stuff? Because you rode with uncle. Do you have your backpack, your, your shoes, your, your lunch pail, your water? Did you, did you forget your head? My son sometimes forgets things. And he's like, Dad, I got it all. I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, I got all of it. Are you sure? Yeah, everything's here. I got my head is here, uh, the, my lunch pail, my shoes, and my backpack, my backpack, my back, my backpack, Dad. My son loves his backpack. I don't know why. That was, that's, the thing is worthless. But he loves it. It's his backpack. It's got a little Pokemon on it, and he carries it everywhere. He puts his little, uh, they, they give him these little furry animals every so often at school. I don't know what they're called. He loves them. He's got a bunch of them on there, and he had his book of Pokemon cards inside. Those who know anything about Pokemon know just how important that booklet is. And he says, Dad, where's my backpack? I don't know. I didn't ride with you. Well, you, don't, you should know. I don't know. Let's go look for it. We go, we go all over the place looking around this, this, this plaza. Nothing. We go to the place where the band was. Nothing. And, and, and we're standing there, and it's late. Everything is closed. I go into the movie theater, and the person says, no, no, no. We don't know anything about it. I said, okay. I came back out, and Leo doesn't want to leave because he's so brokenhearted about his backpack. My brother says, Leo, I will look for it all over the place. 
He says, I won't stop looking tonight until I talk to security and to every open place. You go home and get ready for school. And Leah says, okay. We get in the car and we're about to drive out. And as we're driving, Leah, I could hear him, the sobbing in his, in his, in his, you know, in his voice, that, that little bit of, you know, when kids are like that. And he's doing that and he's silently weeping in the back. He didn't want to make a big deal. I said, son, I said, hey, how about this? How about we pray about it? He's like, dad, it's just, it's gone. I said, I know. It doesn't hurt to pray for things, but let's just pray. Okay, dad. I said, you know, let's pray that one, that God uses someone to bring it home. He says, that's not going to happen. I know, but let's pray for it. And I said, and we could also pray that if somebody did take it, that maybe they need it more than you, right? Like, maybe let's pray that God blesses them with those awesome Pokemon cards because, because you know, they need it. And, and my daughter, who was sitting next to me, turns to me, she says, no, probably not. It just got stolen. Why? Why would you say that right now? Not the time. Not appropriate. I'm just saying, Dad. I just want to be honest. But not now. Be honest later. We pull over and lean back. And I, God, we know you got a million things in this world you got to get done. We dare not, dare not demand that you would do something as small as finding a backpack for Leo. But you said, share the desires of your heart. Would you help us? To help us, or help us in our soul and our spirit to be well, to trust that you're going to use that little backpack to transform someone else's life. Amen. We drive off, and Leo, he begins to shore up. He's got a little bit of courage. He gets home and says, Okay, Dad, we're good. Goes to sleep. Goes to school the next day, and I promised him I would drive back to Uka Sushi to go ask them for the bag. And I was really gonna just drive back to have lunch because I love sushi. <laughs> you know, but while I'm there, Leo, I promise you, so I will go look, it's a good reason to go. So finishing up stuff here and just about to leave and I get a text from his teacher, Mrs. Islas. She says, hey, I got some news for you. I said, what's up? And she says, some lady has been calling around all day to all the schools in Riverside because she's got a bag with Pokemon cards in it. What? Yeah. And, and one of the papers had Leo's name on it. And so she just started calling around schools looking for a Leo Timey who is missing Pokemon cards. And then she noticed that on one of the papers, it had a memory verse on it. So she thought, oh, maybe a Christian school. So about Christian, six Christian schools down, she calls and she finds that there's a Leo Timey in an Alpha Islas class. And, and, and so she texts me. She gave me her number, and would you mind calling her? Immediately I called her. Hello? And she's like, hello? And I could tell it was a white lady. Because you white people answer differently than the rest of us. Hello? And I used my best, like, hello. Because I didn't want to scare her, right? Look at me. I know. Uh, hello, is this Darla? She's like, yeah. I said, hey, um, did you? Do you have a backpack with Pokemon cards in it? She's like, yeah, I do. I said, what? She's like, yeah, last night after the band finished, I, I came back because my son lost a glove, and so I, I wanted to go retrieve his glove and find it, and I found his glove, and then when I found his glove, I saw a bag that was down by the curb, and some people walk around. I didn't want to get stolen. I didn't know who it was, so I just grabbed it. 
I said, you just took some bags you didn't know belonged to? She's like, yeah, my bad. I said, no, it's okay. So I took the bag and then we got home and I opened the bag and my son saw the Pokemon cards. I said, yeah? She's like, yeah. And he said, whoa, whoever this kid is, he's got a great collection of Pokemon cards. Just then my son said, mom, we should probably find who this belongs to because he's probably missing his Pokemon cards. Ridiculous, what? How can I preach about Pokemon cards? How can I not? Someone in the world stopped and saw my son in his bag, led by the Spirit to search and scour Riverside so that this little boy could get his Pokemon cards back. <laughs> the power of being able to see each other is life-changing. Church is more than preaching, liturgy, music. It's a place where we can see each other. May you and I practice being vulnerable with God and being vulnerable together. For that is what makes a glorious church.